Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Show. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane, a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. And hello to Sean, our director in our studio. This is a show about what matters most in our life, our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. So today I will share with you the tip of the week about observing your destructive patterns and how it impacts your life. But I will share with you about news of hearing about our friends passing due to COVID. It's a lot of grief in the Ask, Ask Me segment. And then I'm excited to bring you Dr. Ja Gottlieb. He is a physician with a unique therapeutic approach based on his extensive training in both Western medicine and Eastern healing arts. Today, we will be talking about his latest book, <sighs> The Pleasure Book. That's what it's called, <sighs> The Pleasure Book. And it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, book that you've got to get. Either listen to it or get it. I will also bring you the music of Good Time by Warm Leching. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and podcast and connect with me through Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of them, all with Dr. Fujian. I'd love to hear from you about your comments and uh, questions that you have, all of it. But first, here's the tip of the week. Falling in love, it hits you like a ton of bricks. It makes you wanna build her a house. But when the walls go up again, then you miss the sun against your skin. So tear it all down. You gotta hammer out uncertainties. I'm sorry, I'm so so in and out. Have you ever wished you could just wake up one day? reach across your nightstand and hit the life reset button. Let's face it, the struggles and frustrations of everyday life leave millions of women and men around the globe yearning for a new way. And the new way is right here in Life Reset, the awareness integration path to create the life you want by Dr. Fujian Zain. You can get it now at fujian.com or amazon.com. Life Reset, the awareness integration path to create the life you want. You deserve it. Here's a tip of the week. When it comes to productivity and creating results in any area of life, it is important to look at our patterns. This week I've been working on becoming aware of thought, emotional, and behavioral patterns that can move you forward or it can break you. It's important to see your strength, vulnerabilities, as well as the destructive patterns that are there, destructive behavior patterns that we have, even destructive thought patterns that we have. So a 50-year-old man who is very talented and well-educated has a habit of getting into fights with his employers and ends up quitting with no other job in sight. Therefore, he finds himself in financial hardships constantly. Or a 30-year-old woman who um, is in various romantic relationships about every three months because she has a particular idea about romance that is not being fulfilled. Therefore, she gets disappointed and leaves. Or a 20-year-old woman who gets into fights with her friends constantly and blames them for their fights and finds another group of people to be friends with and follow the same pattern with them. Unfortunate circumstances can happen once. You can deal with them, learn from them, and use those lessons to correct the future course of action so that doesn't happen again. However, if the same situation, similar situations, and similar circumstances are happening consistently, I suggest looking at your patterns and your part in recreating certain and similar circumstances. So if you find yourself fighting with authority wherever you work, if you find yourself in debt every single month and have to borrow money, if you start getting disappointed with your mate eh, very shortly, 
every three months and then begin seeing all the negative traits and can't see any positivity in your relationship or the person at all every day. And if you end up losing every friend that comes to your life after a brief period of time, I suggest exploring your destructive patterns. And even if you don't fit in those three examples, look at what is it that you do every day, every week, every year. This is a constant pattern of complaint that you have that you keep seeing that gets recreated. I suggest looking at your patterns. The patterns could have been copied from your family of origin, mom and dad. Many people copy their parents' way of dealing with finances, conflict resolution, or emotional expressions, or anger expression. Uh, patterns can also be a product of your belief and thought processes. So you had an experience and you kind of like generalized it and still continuing. At times, you may be in a situation that is uncomfortable or doesn't work for you. You may generalize some of those ideas about yourself or others and continue to operate from those types of generalizing. A boy who had a controlling parent may at age 8 to 15 learn that the only way to find his own identity is to take a stand in front of his parent. So this rebellious act finally works and his family give, give up. Um, give up in trying to control him. And um, this behavior creates a favorable result for him. So he continues to use the same rebellious behavior, even at work or with any authority. He ends up quitting or getting fired from every job. A little girl who has to endure her parents' fights every day and she's, as she's growing up forms a fantasy based on romantic novels that she will find her true love um, to be not like her parents, and um, she'll have this fantasy of who it's going to be. However, as she finds herself going from honeymoon stages of any relationship to the next phase of the relationship, she freezes, decides this is turning out to be just like my parents, and chews out. A girl who's been fighting with her siblings since she is the eldest, and the family has allowed this type of expression at home, thinks that if someone loves her, they will have to endure her volatile expression and have to fulfill her expectations and gets disappointed that others just chew to choose out and they are not going to take that type of fighting. So observe your patterns. Do you find that you are in a similar situation and you keep blaming others for what's happening? Start observing your thoughts, beliefs, emotions, behaviors in the way that creates similar results. Seek support and unravel those patterns. For more observational skills and emotional regulation skills, go to my book, Life Reset, the awareness integration path to create the life you want. Thank you. Take KMET 1490 AM with you everywhere you go by downloading our free smartphone apps found on the KMET website, kmet1490am.com. You can also go to the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store on your phone to download the free app. Now you can listen live or play any of your favorite programmers' podcasts using your smartphone. Go to kmet1490am.com and download your free phone app today. been called uh, by many people who have lost friends and family during this time of COVID. And not only that the loss, the essence of loss is there for the person uh, in everyday life. Even when people are not living together or they're not even in the same city and they're not part of the everyday life, um, just a matter of facing death, mortality, a loss, and the concept of um, bringing meaning into life and what happens when life becomes shortened by something that it wasn't the person's doing, it brings a lot of thoughts and emotions for people. Thoughts and emotions that they have to deal with consistently. Some people go through sadness, 
Some go through anger and they can't really put their anger on a particular uh, subject or be mad at the person who died or be mad at a disease. So they start getting angry at everything that's around them and pick at everything, um, their husbands, their children, their work. It's as if they put a question mark on every decision they make. They put a question mark on the value of everything that is around and um, even their own value. Am I worth it? Um, why am I doing this? Should I even make more effort? Life is so, so short. Let it be. Let me just go into a space of um, you know, recklessness because what's the point? So it's almost like even daring um, life and daring death that I'll show you, you know, either you're gonna get me or I will get you and I'm in control. So if for any reason you are experiencing any of that and you have lost someone, first and foremost, I'm sorry and my condolences. And then hang in there because this is a process. It's a process of us facing um, what we don't anticipate to face. And every time we talk about death is something far away or there's always this hope and bargaining that it just won't happen to me and I can beat it somehow, or it's something that I don't have to deal with. Um, so if those are part of what you're going through, just letting you know, it is normal and we're going to go through these processes and slowly but surely we'll find our footing and we'll become centered again and um, come back and enjoy the things that we have. Sometimes also when we face death, instead of it questioning everything, we actually go back into the value. Instead of it becoming worthless, it becomes valuable. That we know that any moment, this might no longer be here. My body, the way it is, might not be here. These types of relationships might not be here. These experiences might not be here. So that I would value every moment as if it may be the last. And being with the present moment and valuing it will bring back some of the joy and some of the peace of mind and allowing yourself to just be with and go into the flow of what is, is going to bring you back and um, make you valuable to yourself and everyone around you valuable to you and every experience valuable again. So don't fight the sadness, honor it. You have every right to go through the grief for what you have lost and even the meaning or the safety and security that we all have as an illusion that life is just gonna continue every day the way it is and um, embrace the uncertainty and anything that you're gonna do in order to take care of yourself the rest, you're going to live with the uncertainty and hope for the best. But what is, um, is whatever it is around you that is valuable, whether you created it or you received it as a gift. So honor yourself, honor all that's showing up for you and um, enjoy the life you have. Welcome back everyone. I'm Dr. Fujan Zain and I am excited to be with Dr. Ja Gottlieb. He is a physician with a unique therapeutic approach based on his extensive training in both Western medicine and Eastern healing arts. During a 12 day trek in Himalayas, he found his calling as a doctor. So he received his MD from Northwestern University, completed his uh, residency in family medicine and then traveled to China, Japan, India, and to study um, acupuncture, martial arts, and yoga, and other ancient practices shortly after returning to the States. And now he has established Still Mountain Clinic in Boulder, Colorado. Today, we will be talking about his latest book, Oh, The Pleasure Book. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So why pleasure, Dr. Gottlieb? Well, 
pleasure is at the very root of who we are as human beings. Uh, it's not something we typically talk about or even think about, but it's certainly something we do uh, every day, multiple times. In fact, we are uh, biologically hardwired to seek pleasure. So it being so fundamental to who we are, it's something we need to be aware of and become skillful around. Um, and when we talk about pleasure, um, there's also these factors of, uh, you know, the, there's obviously experience of pleasure, the biological, but there's also the kind of like a, um, the enjoyment of abstract or psychological pleasure, so the physical and and uh, and the other, um, and then you you talked about the pleasure being an, a part of our essence, and I know that um, there are like when I think about pleasure, I think about play. Mm -hmm. um, we think about sexuality, which you know is the physical aspect of it, or even sometimes like watching a beautiful art or going in nature and watching this grandness of beauty and then suddenly it just shows up. So when you say pleasure, there's so many things that shows up for me. Uh, how do you define pleasure? I define pleasure uh, in a very simple, straightforward way. It's anything that makes us feel good. And and then if you look at that, as you just uh, said, there are a number of different ways in which we feel good that uh, seem very different in some ways. Uh, so there are basically four different ways to feel good. The first is physical. And that's very direct. You eat a good meal, uh, you enjoy someone's company, uh, sexual uh, involvement, very direct pleasure. Then at the next level, there are emotional pleasures. That's what we call happiness, joy, fun, love. These are emotional forms of pleasure. At the next level uh, beyond that is mental pleasures. These are thoughts that make us feel good. You know, that uh, the work I do is meaningful and uh, important, that I have enough money in the bank, that uh, people like me. These are mental forms of pleasure. And then at the highest level, it just turns out to be spiritual. That's the connection to source, shall we say. And when you look at uh, your background of going, when you, you said I had um, a calling, uh, an epiphany about wanting to be a doctor, um, what, what transpired uh, for you from uh, that experience that it appears to be a little bit more uh, like a spiritual journey and then finding uh, almost like your pleasure, your calling, your dharma into a space of this is what I want to do. And then you came back and went to uh, medical school. Well, well, you know, as you ask that question, um, I, I realize that how I became a doctor is, and really how we become anything, it, it's kind of mysterious. Uh, but it does happen, right? We, we do grow up, <laughs> we, we do become something. Uh, and how does that happen? Uh, really, to, to be very precise, that is the sixth immutable law of pleasure. There are seven immutable laws. The sixth law is the balancing of desire and surrender. So uh, I had a desire as a young man, I had a desire to be something. And like most of my friends was like, well, you know, you need to be successful. <laughs> uh, it, and then the question is, well, what are you going to be successful in? And of course, this is the naivety of youth. We think we can do anything. So um, with that uh, intention, that desire that I need to be able to make a living 
to be able to support a family, uh, be able to contribute to my society. That was the intention I had. And I went traveling around the world after I graduated from college to figure it out, to just figure it out. And every day I asked myself, so what are you going to do? <laughs> and I didn't know. It, it was uncomfortable. Uh, but that's only half the equation, the desire, uh, getting clear on that, which is also not so easy. The second half of that equation is surrender. That is uh, an openness and allowing for things to happen as they do. And what I've learned uh, over the years now looking at this is that when desire and surrender come into relative balance, we're in the sweet spot. We're, we're in the uh, flow of the Tao, shall we say. So I, I'm trekking in the Himalayas, uh, not knowing what the hell I'm doing <laughs> and wondering why am I out here? Why, why am I on this trip to try and figure out what I'm going to be? And uh, as I'm walking along, there's this huge river uh, running down uh, this like for about 12 days. And, and I'm looking at the river every day, walking about uh, 10, 10 hours a day. And I see this huge rock. It's, it's as big as a room sitting in that river. And suddenly I realize, oh, that's my problem. Uh, I can't be like that rock in the midst of all this flow. I can't commit to anything. Uh, so that was the first insight. And then mysteriously, at the end of that track, I just knew I was going to be a doctor. I mean, I had considered the possibility before. Um, I didn't know anything about it. I never worked in the hospital. I never was an orderly or, you know, but I thought, you know, I want to help. And just before that trip in Nepal, I had been in Northern India and I was in uh, Calcutta. And this was just as uh, all these East Pakistan, used to be a place called East Pakistan. All these refugees were there living on the street. And I was overwhelmed with the sight of human struggle and suffering. It's just right there, you know, you could touch it. You can smell it, you can feel it. Uh, young kids, you know, grab at your clothes to stop you to, so that you can give them some money. So that uh, upset me. And, and so a combination of things, I, at the end of my trek, I just went, I'm going to be a doctor. And, and now it's just a matter of getting back home and figuring out how to, how to get into medical school, which required a whole lot of luck. <laughs> And then yet that somehow uh, gave you a lot, but there was something beyond it that you still needed to get. So you went back. Yes, I needed then to, to, I needed to do some uh, pre-med courses. <laughs> I, I was a physics major. So um, yeah, and then applied to medical school, which is a whole kind of uh, rat race as all into itself. So yeah, I, I just feel very fortunate that somehow I ended up in a profession uh, doing work that I just simply love. After the uh, becoming a profession in the Western medicine, there was this desire to go back and experience all the Eastern healing arts too. So well, well, you know, happened that it called you called you forward more on. Uh, expanding this uh, this domain for yourself. Yeah, you know, the way I describe it to uh, people, uh, particularly young people, you know, who, who are trying to figure out what's going on here. And it's only gotten much more complex uh, since I was a young person. And uh, we, we refer to it as a calling. 
But my experience is much more like a feeling of being drawn. It's like standing on a sandy beach and the wave, the surf goes out and, and you feel your heels, you feel your feet sucked down into the sand. Well, my good fortune has been uh, willing to take the time to stand on the beach, looking at the great unknown, not being in a rush. That's that traveling around the world for a year was that and taking a break. Stand on the sand. And then when I feel that pull, I, I for whatever reason, never questioned it much. I just dove in. And looking back, it directed me in the most efficient way possible, given who I am and so forth, to bring me exactly to this point. So I, that to me is a mystery. It's a blessing. Uh, I feel very grateful. I want to hear about the uh, seven laws, of the, you, you, seven principles that you talked about, y'all. But one of the things that you just mentioned, which was the concept of the desire and the surrender, it's interesting because when you say desire, um, ingrained in the concept of the desire shows up a level of an attachment to acquiring the desire. Yes. And, and then I heard you say, okay, now surrender, where um, it seems like it's, it becomes the antidote to the concept of the attachment to go. And, you know, it's, I've got to get it now. Uh, however, and then the other part is was just surrender. So is it more like you you are become aware of your desire and then just let it be that and that it, that takes really a lot of skill to have the desire and then let it be because the co concept of a desire uh, usually holds with this tension of and tension and anxiety and moving forward and, you know, um, the attachment more than anything. Can you yeah, explain that, that part for us? Yeah, yeah, that tension that you so well described, you know, that's uh, what makes it exciting mm -hmm. and, and that it's unknown. Uh, and, and there can, you know, exciting is one word, but it, it can also be anxiety producing. Uh, it can be um, stopping us in our tracks because we're so scared. So desire is tricky. And most of us have uh, this feeling that there's got to be something more. Uh, I need more. I want more. But then when you say, well, okay, what do you want? If you could have anything, what would it be? that turns out to not be a real simple uh, question to answer. And so getting in touch, becoming aware of our wanting and then refining, investigating, you know, what is it? And it's never perfect, but we can get closer and closer. Uh, that's very important. In our culture, we want all kinds of things and they compete with each other. You know, I'd like a new cell phone. I could use a better car. Uh, gee, I wish I had a girlfriend. Uh, so how to kind of prioritize at a given point in my life, well, what do I really want? And, and that uh, turns out to actually, of the two, be the easier piece. The surrender part, particularly for us in the West, in the I generation, where it's all about me and uh, winning means getting what I want, uh, surrender turns out to be even more difficult. I totally agree. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, tell me. That's why, why I said why? the skill to surrender. My experience with surrendering um, I'm getting much better as I get older, but I know that I, it was more like I was brought up into the sense of, 
you desire, you have a desire, you set a goal, you do the action plan, you get it. And if it's not happening, then you got to change your action plan until you get it. And it was more like, you know, there's no stopping you. Like you, you want it, you want it, you do it, you get it. And if you don't get it, then it's um, then it's like all of this pain and um, suffering and then failure and all of that shows up with it. Or that it meant that if you have a desire and you couldn't get it, that it must have been bad, right? Like there must have been something wrong with it or you were supposed to have shame around it. Um uh, or it was something that wasn't yours, but you were trying to have it. So then it was also the concept of shame and guilt and ethics, uh, ethical issues, which, by the way, everyone, all of these are in his book, beautifully written in different chapters. So I'm just kind of bringing it all together. Uh, so that's what what was. And then obviously, you know, uh, life brings you uh, reality, <laughs> which is, oh, well, <laughs> You could desire, but it, it's not always going to be given to you. So deal with it. And then I think the surrendering showed up after like deal with it. And um, but the, to have the surrender, uh, I'm beginning to experience or examine or practice this concept of surrendering up front from from a from a source context versus like okay i'm not getting it whatever i'll surrender you know like a powerless surrender yeah yeah exactly that that's really good surrendering uh preemptively yes yes so like, you know like what you said like desire and surrender coming side by side like i have the right to have this desire and then yet i you know i will surrender to how it shows up and then like what you said just allowing my feet to sink in and just go in and if it doesn't then flow with whatever else it is uh but that means that i gotta really rein my desire uh the attachment to the desire well, constantly well i i have a, a little quote from the dalai lama at the beginning of uh, one of my chapters on desire and and he says uh sometimes not getting what you want can be a stroke of great luck. <laughs> I totally agree, especially when some things that I wanted, like relationships I wanted or things I wanted and then passed, I didn't get it. And then, you know, I watched it from afar after a while and you're like. <laughs> yeah, you, you dodged that bullet. <laughs> I dodged that bullet. So I totally, totally agree. And, um, and there is something deeper uh, underneath this, which to me is really mysterious and uh, wonderful. And that is when I put my desire out into the universe uh, as clearly as I can and adopt this stance of open receptivity to what bounces back, as it were, um, the intelligence of the cosmos operates and it gives me not necessarily what I desire and want, but it seems to always give me what I need. Exactly. And sometimes it doesn't look like, you know, no, I didn't want this, but after working through it, I realized that's exactly what I needed uh, which sometimes, you know, at points in one's life is that need sometimes is to be broken. Uh, not get what you think you want, not be who you think you are. And in that cracking open, uh, as Leonard Cohen writes in one of his songs, that's where the light gets in. Yeah. You talk about cycle of pleasure in your book. Can you share a bit about that? Yeah, so pleasure uh, is, well, pleasure is a cycle, okay? So there is active pleasure. And I, in my book, I use the metaphor of going for a run. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going exercising. I'm actively putting out some energy and it's feeling pretty good. Uh, at another point, I might be feeling a little tired, 
a little hot, whatever. After the run, there's this natural cycling into uh, a low intensity pleasure uh, in the valley. And we call that endorphin high uh, post-exercise uh, satisfaction. And then it naturally floats back, our energy level naturally floats back to this kind of neutral place. In between active and passive pleasure, there is uh, a neutral place, which is peace of mind, uh, just chilling. And, and so there are these three, the cycle goes on and on and on throughout the day. And it's nothing really surprising because the whole universe is going through these cycles day and night, winter, summer, expansion, contraction, uh, and so on. So pleasure also cycles. And understanding this active phase, which is different than the passive phase and then the middle phase, understanding how that works actually allows us to enjoy them even more and how to skillfully increase our active pleasure, increase our passive pleasure and the middle one. And when that is fully experienced at the peak of active pleasure, you can touch into, you can taste ecstasy. At the uh, bottom trough of passive pleasure, you can experience bliss. And in the middle, uh, which is maybe one of the more subtle sublime pleasures is peace of mind. Mm -hmm. So everyone who's listening or watching, you can actually do this without drugs. <laughs> Read this book, A-A-H, oh, which brings me to the conversation of, I work a lot with addiction. Mm. And um, it just seems like, you know, the world is constantly seeking some sort of an um, alternate state, some sort of give me something that can get me into that pleasure immediately without me having to make any effort on that. But give me right now, give me. So any type of drugs, whether it's an upper or a downer or something that takes me into the bliss or the ecstasy or any of those immediately. Um, what are your thoughts around this concept that people obviously are constantly seeking, needing, moving toward that, um, you know, trying to run away from any sort of um, anything that would take an effort or that it would be called some, some sort of pain, pain, even like an emotional pain, whether the pain is I'm not getting anything, my desire, or I've lost something, or I feel like the failure or not good enough, whatever is happening, or the world's going in, I'm, in, I'm not in control of what's happening in the world, such as the COVID and so many other things that are there. So throughout the day, I'm going to feel down, painful and suffering. And I just want something that gives me pleasure immediately. Yeah, we, we have... Um... Uh, to, to, to begin with, we have this tendency to pass judgment on, on everything, everyone, and, and particularly ourselves. And, and that judgment passing uh, obscures our ability to actually think clearly and make wise decisions. So I prefer to look at it, maybe this is my physics background. You know, the book could have been written, The Physics of Pleasure. Uh, like, let's, let's take it out of this cultural frame of original sin, original inadequacy, shame, guilt, and let's put it into a more neutral framework. Uh, you know, that's what I call renewable pleasure. That pleasure is a natural resource. Uh, it's something we all need. Uh, it's as important as fresh air and clean water. So no shame or guilt for pursuing pleasure. We, we all want it. Uh, it's built in. We're hardwired for pleasure. So, okay, then 
how do we go about getting it? Uh, and that gets to your question of, oh, okay, what's, what's with addiction, which is first and foremost, a pleasure disorder. The, the um, third immutable law of pleasure is called contrast and comparison. That our entire nervous system works in terms of contrast and comparison. We're always comparing things. And what that means is whatever state we find ourselves in throughout the day, there is a deep uh, need, which is a little bit stronger than just a desire. It's like, I need this. There is a need to shift my consciousness. So if I've been sitting for a long time, well, then I need to stand up and move around. If I've been standing for a long time, I need to sit down. It's like breathing in and breathing out. And you don't want to hold your breath <laughs> at any point. So contrast and comparison is actually biologically how our nervous system works. The, the individual neurons are either firing or at rest. It's a digital in that sense. And, and that digital on or off occurs at every level of the nervous system, including our senses. So I, I walk into a floral shop. I'm taken by the smell of the flowers and the greenery, the moisture in the air. And it's like, oh, this is nice. It's refreshing. And within moments, uh, I've adapted, habituated, and I no longer notice it. My uh, partner might be the most beautiful, fantastic person in the world. Uh, but after a few months, it's like, oh, hmm, this is, you know, a very familiar. And then we tend to fall asleep. So contrast comparison, the only, that's built in. The only question is how to go about it. And some ways of shifting my consciousness are better. That is, uh, they bring me more pleasure. They make me feel good for longer periods of time, ideally my whole life, as opposed to other ways of feeling good, which might be just a flash in the pan. And when you step back after a while of being addicted, you realize I'm, I'm having less fun. I actually am having more suffering as a result of this type of pleasure. So that way of saying, okay, pleasure is important. I want it, bring it on. And then now how can I be skillful to get the highest quality pleasure to be uh, like a connoisseur as it were, as opposed to naive and, and ignorant and pursuing pleasures that ultimately bring pain and suffering. That uh, can be avoided. And I, I, I think pain and suffering are highly overrated in our culture. And I also have seen a lot of um, association where pleasure gets associated with destructive behavior. So, um, so that's where I'm also hearing a shift of consciousness where we detach these uh, concepts where pleasure can also be attached to um, constructive and health and beauty. Yeah, that attachment or that connection between pleasure and suffering is, um, I mean, there's different ways of looking at it, but one very important way is understanding that our cultural framework our operating system around pleasure uh, has been corrupted with a piece of malware. And just like a piece of malware in your computer, it causes it to crash. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, this cultural malware causes us to crash when we're trying to experience pleasure. And that crash is experienced as pain and suffering, right? The damn thing's not working. <laughs> it's not what I thought it should be. Um, and that malware was most 
uh, eloquently stated by St. Paul, uh, I guess, in the New Testament. And he says something like uh, in Romans, uh, I think, 17.3, uh, that which I would do, I do not. The good that I would do, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. That gives you an idea of the kind of uh, crazy making that goes on with making pleasure a sin. And that's where the connection sometimes shows up also. But it gives it a thrill. But on the other side, I think that um, it, it goes into destructiveness and takes right. anyway. Right. If it's a sin, then uh, I should be punished. God should punish me. I deserve to be punished because I have sinned and perhaps a mortal sin. And, and then we end up punishing ourselves. And, uh, you know, Johnny Cash, uh, listening to him talk about uh, narcotics, heroin, you just hear the suffering in his voice. Uh, it's so sad. I know that we only have uh, about five or six minutes, but I want to hear about the laws of pleasure. So. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, th there are seven laws. And uh, the easiest way to, to be introduced to them, uh, and the, the most fun way, is to go to my website uh, at uh, drjamd.com, dr. J-I-A-M-D.com. And there you can see the book trailer, which introduces, will introduce you to the seven immutable laws of pleasure. And, and I'm proud of it because it's like a little uh, two, two minute piece of art. Uh, it's not what you think it, it is. It, it's, it's quite lovely. And the first law is um, uh, original wholeness. Mm -hmm that we are born whole. We are born from pleasure. We are born for pleasure. It is our origin, source, and birthright. Uh, that, that is the antidote to original sin. <laughs> You're actually born whole. And, and any mother, any father who has seen a newborn child understands, wow, what a miracle. And this child could become anything. So the second law is the law of colors. And that's what I mentioned at the outset, that uh, there are four colors of pleasure, physical red, emotional green, mental blue, and spiritual white. And when these three colors uh, are you know, red, green, and blue are the primary colors. When they're perfectly balanced and harmonized, you get white light. And in the same way, when you go deep into your physical, emotional, and mental pleasures and understand how they work and operate, you naturally then begin to experience this spiritual pleasure. The third is um, the law of contrast and comparison, which is all pleasures, all perceptions, all experiences are relative. You know, my, my house is only as big as my neighbor <laughs> by comparison, right? The fourth is the law of thresholds. And that's a little bit of a tricky one, but uh, it's understanding that pleasure and pain are not opposites. Most people you say, what's the opposite of pleasure? Oh, pain and vice versa. No, that's not actually true. Pleasure and pain are kissing cousins separated by a pleasure pain threshold. And understanding this, you know, pleasure and pain is like a compass that guides you through life. If you've got your North and South Poles messed up, yeah, it's gonna be hard to get to where you wanna go. So just that one understanding that pleasure and pain are close to each other, as opposed to opposite to each other, could save you a lot of uh, heartache and suffering. Um, 
The fifth, we already spoke about cycles, active, passive, and neutral pleasures. The sixth, the law of desire and surrender, which is just so uh, useful. And, and But, you know, it takes a bit of experience and growing up to realize how life works uh, and, and the importance of surrender. And the last, the seventh, is uh, renewable pleasure. And this is where my book in the last chapter, it's called Renewable Pleasure for a Sustainable World. And I believe that our deeper understanding of pleasure will actually save us as a species on this planet. Thank you for that roadmap. If we have, um, especially when you say it saves us as a species, we really need the roadmap. Um, in one minute, is there anything we haven't said that you really want everybody to know? I, uh, my, my goal is to raise our consciousness about pleasure collectively and individually to realize it's really important. It's a natural resource as important as fresh air and clean water, okay? Then having the curiosity and the humility to realize, gee, maybe I don't know what pleasure is. I never read a book on it. I never took a course on it. My parents never talked to me about it. The, the priest never said anything about it uh, in a positive way. So maybe I don't know what pleasure is. And then we can find out. And I would encourage all of your listeners to forget what you think pleasure is and go to the direct experience of, ah, oh, that feels good. What just happened? How did it happen? What does, role does that ah feeling play in your life? If that, if we accomplish that, then this has been a very productive hour. Beautiful. Everyone, the book is A-A-H, oh, The Pleasure Book by Dr. Jaw Gottlieb. And please go to Dr. Jaw, M-D, D-R-G-I-A-M-D.com so that you not only see the video, but you can access the book. And um, um, Dr. Gottlieb, this, uh, does your book is also on audio or just? Uh, yes. Yeah, you can listen to it. And if you get the Kindle version, as uh, some people discover, you can listen, you can read on your Kindle. And then when you need to stop and get into your car, you can use this Amazon WhisperSync to continue listening to it as you drive to work. Beautiful. Is it also on Audibles? Yes, it's on Audible. So, and I, I do the recording. So it's... Uh, my voice uh, reading my book yeah well it has been a pleasure to have you uh on the show and to have this dialogue i'm uh, excited about uh your book and what i've learned and how to implement it in my own life and i'm positive for everyone who's listening or viewing us that they will really capture a lot for themselves out of this book thank you so much for for having me on your program and for all of you who are out there, create an amazing world for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye.